Hello, my friends, and welcome back to the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn. I'm your host, and uh, this is episode number 235, and uh, Merry Christmas to you. This is our Christmas episode. If you celebrate Christmas, Merry Christmas. If you don't, uh, Merry or Happy, whatever it is that you celebrate. Uh, But this is our Christmas episode at the What If Project, and we're talking to uh, Bruce Epperly today who was on the show about two months ago talking about one of his other books. But today he's on the show to talk about his book, From Cosmos to Cradle, Meditations on the Incarnation. We cover a lot of interesting ground in this episode. Uh, We talk a little bit about, obviously, the incarnation, uh, the, the idea, the doctrine, theology, whatever, of God becoming human through Jesus. We talk about that. Uh, we talk about the stories of Jesus and what do they mean? Uh, because me personally, I went I, I went through a season where, or a time, where I believe that the stories of Jesus, the birth stories, are these are historical documents. Like this is how it happened, and there were maybe different versions of the story, like two main ones, right, Matthew and Luke, and they told it a little bit differently. But overall idea is there. This is how it happened. And then I went through this season where I was like, no, 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 (laughs) none of that happened. (laughs) It didn't happen like that at all. And uh, these stories, Jesus was a real person, but these stories were made up uh, in order to uh, expand on or magnify a specific point that the writer wanted to make about Jesus. Uh, So I went from their historical to their non-historical at all. And now I'm in this place where I'm just like, I don't know. I mean, does it does it even matter? I don't even know if it matters <laughs> if it's if it's historical or if it's not. Uh, but maybe it is. Maybe it's not. But who am I to say that all these things or some of these things or whatever didn't happen? Like a virgin birth? Like I don't know. I mean, do I believe that there was a literal virgin birth? Probably not. But there could have been, right? I mean, look at that new telescope they have. Whatever it's called. They're, they're seeing like bazillions and bazillions and bazillions of miles away. And there's planets and there's stars and there's solar systems and there's other moons and other suns and black holes and all this kind of stuff. Like the universe is much more massive than anything all of our brains put together could possibly wrap ourselves around. So who's to say that there's not room in the universe for a virgin birth or, or something like that? I don't know. So now I'm in this place where I'm like in this middle ground where I'm just like, I don't really know. I don't really think it's that important of a question. I think the bigger question is what do these stories mean for us uh, today? And so then we talk about that. We talk about what do these stories mean for people living in 2022, soon to be 2023, uh, everyday people working jobs and raising kids and paying mortgages and things like that. What do these stories have to do with you and me uh, today? And so we have a really fun conversation. I'm excited to let you in on it. Uh, it was a good time. I love Bruce. Go go to Amazon, look him up because he's got like literally, I don't even know, like his books, you just keep scrolling and scrolling. <laughs> There's so many things he's written about. And so I want to have him back on again, probably a couple of times in 2023, to talk about some of his other uh, books as well. So anyway, I'll put him in the show notes, uh, link to his book in the show notes and uh, go check them out. Also in the show notes, uh, Patreon, uh, buy me coffee, two places to go to support the show financially if this has encouraged you, inspired you, pushed you forward in your faith. Uh, those are two places to go. Next week, um, oh, real quick, next week uh, is the last episode of the season, and Nicole Perra, the holistic psychologist, will be joining us. And then the following week was the first uh, episode of season six of the show, and that's just me, you and me sitting down, having about a 30-minute conversation about uh, the podcast, where it's been, where it's going. And I want to do that primarily because we've had a lot more listeners uh, this year. Uh, Spotify, that that wrapped thing, the the end-of-the-year thing, let me know that this year, uh, this year, 2022, picked up, uh, I think it was 70% of the podcast listeners came from 2022. So there's been a, a massive um, explosion, so to speak, I guess, of people coming to, to listen. It's not like it's like an astronomical number, but of all the listeners of the show, 70% of them are, are about that 
came this year. And so there's a lot of new people. And so I just want to kind of hit the pause button and say, hey, welcome to the new people. Uh, in case you're wondering, this is what the show is and <laughs> kind of where it's come from and, and where it's going. And I also want to do it as a reminder for myself because as the podcast grows and as I hear from more people, it becomes really easy to, uh, what, how do I say it? It becomes really easy to to kind of forget uh, what this thing is all about and start catering to different voices and different things and start trying to, um, I guess you could say, fit in with other podcasts and do things that other podcasts do and stuff like that. And I just want to have a reminder for myself that I can go back to that, hey, this podcast is unique. Uh, this is the way we do it. And uh, it will always be unique. <laughs> it's not about certain things. And it is about certain other things. And so we're going to go over those certain things and certain other things uh, in that episode. So anyway, it's already recorded. It's already set, set to go. And I'm looking forward to uh, sharing it with you. But anyway, all I have to say, let's let's stop talking and let's hit the pause button on this conversation and let's roll into the conversation with Bruce Epperly, uh, episode number 235. Enjoy. Yeah. Wake up, get your morning started, drinking daily coffee, got this money on my mind. Wake up. Sun ain't always shining, but it's brighter days ahead. It's gonna get started, we can do what we wanna wake up. Wake up, wake up. get your morning started, oh. drinking daily coffee, got this money on my mind. Wake Got myself to see the big picture. You not alone, I'm right there with ya. Trust me, get up. Guess I gotta be more stricter. Keep my head up, getting more slicker. I know, yeah. Gotta move my feet Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. Today we're sitting down with our friend Bruce Epperly, who was actually on the show about a month ago, and he's back today to talk to us about my favorite holiday. Uh, my favorite time of the year, Christmas. And so, Bruce, welcome back, my friend. It's great to have you one more time. Well, it's good to be here. I, I bring you greetings from Washington, D.C., the Jerusalem and Rome of our time, <laughs> uh, whereas there's nothing but chaos where I come from and where, however, Hallmark movies are are already there. I've seen the Hallmark kiss and seen the great Christmas stories of happily ever after. So I'm ready to talk about Christmas, too. There you go. We are recording this today after Election Day. So we were just talking before we recorded that uh, mayhem is breaking out everywhere. So it'll be nice to talk about something relaxed, right? <laughs> well, nothing's more relaxing than the incarnation. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll see where it all where it all goes. But I have to say, before we go into that, uh, the conversation that we had the last time about your book, uh, The Elephant is Running, is probably one of the most popular episodes I've released this year. And that doesn't necessarily mean that it has the most downloads because only, only about a month ago, but it's received the most feedback. Like I can't tell you, and it's all good. Nothing negative has come. No no arrows have come my way. Uh, but I can't tell you how many people have reached out to me and I've said that that particular conversation introduced so much freedom into their walk with the divine that they didn't really even know was possible. So that book, our conversation is really impacting people. And I wanted to take a moment just to say thank you for the work that you're doing. Well, and, and I think that theology should be freeing. Uh, on occasion, I get a little nervous when somebody says, I've just found Jesus, and I'm worried that they're all of a sudden going to have a much smaller world than they did the day before. Mm. Uh, because often Christianity, including our understanding of the life, death, and resurrection, the birth of Jesus, uh, is often constricts our worldview rather than expands it. So I'm delighted that there's been a good response to The Elephant is Running. I, it was a, a joy to write it, and uh, certainly I'm always delighted to talk about it. Yeah, it's so good. And I've spent some time scrolling through Amazon because you have a lot of books. Like I thought you had maybe four or five books I want to look and the, the list just doesn't end. There's just so much stuff there that you are doing. And I think it's just fantastic work that you're doing. So bravo to you. Well, yes. And it, and it, these days at this point in my life as a senior scholar and mem member of the Medicare generation, <laughs> um, I, I kind of write intuitively. I had the, the benefit of a very good graduate education and undergraduate education at San Jose State and then at Claremont, where I got my degrees, and, uh, uh, and then build on it and kept learning and then discovered that 
I, I study hard and then I kind of let the inspiration flow. And I write about things that I want to write about mm -hmm. or that on occasion uh, I get a little nudge from, from the divine, I think, to say I should pay attention to this or I should reflect on this. So uh, I don't take I don't blame God for what I've written, but I, I take <laughs> responsibility for it. But sometimes it seems as if I'm being inspired and I try to be inspiring. Yeah, well, the, the work definitely comes across that way. So uh, thoroughly enjoyable. And I actually sent this book that we're going to talk about today. I've been sending it to lots of people saying Advent is coming. And this is a wonderful book that could be a companion for you. So I want to pick uh, your brain today, like we talked about, about Christmas, and in particular, uh, about some of the things that stem from your book, uh, From Cosmos to Cradle, uh, Meditations on the Incarnation. And before we kind of get into the the questions I have, maybe you could just take a moment to tell us a little bit about this book, and in particular, what does that title mean, From Cosmos to Cradle? What What is packed into that very small statement? Well, yeah, and it, and it, it, kind of expresses what I think are the creative tensions in the Christmas story. Mm -hmm. um, for any educated reader of the Gospels, they'll know that uh, each of the Gospels has a different take on it, and one of them doesn't even talk about it at all. That is the Gospel <laughs> of Mark. Yeah. He just gets uh, right it, into it. <laughs> it begins with, with the baptism of Jesus. But here we have John's gospel, and it talks about in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and it's the creative principle in the universe. Not a word about Bethlehem or Nazareth mm -hmm. or Herod or shepherds or magi. Then we have the two other stories, uh, each of which has its own uh you know, own perspective. One focuses on Mary and the other focuses on Joseph. One mm -hmm. gives us the shepherds, other gives us the magi. And uh, I, th I like the interplay between the infinite and the intimate. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Christianity and Judaism are not about a God in the abstract or uh, a faith history that's in the abstract, it's con it's concrete. And even John's gospel, for all its high-flying mysticism and speculative <laughs> philosophy, says the word was made flesh. And the minute they say that, you know, the word was made flesh, all of a sudden we're looking at bodies like our own that uh, uh, grow older, get sick from the various communicable diseases around, wrestle with how to deal with inflation, mm. deal with issues of whether voting is uh, fair or whether voting uh, ends up being uh, minimized by people. It, it, it really puts it right where we live. Yeah. And, and the cosmos is the big picture. And that there's something about the the cosmos and God's intention that happens in the life and birth of Jesus there's also something about the birth of Jesus and his life that reveals the cosmos. Mm. And, and you can't do without the other. Uh, the only God for Christians, I believe, is, is a God that is in flesh, a God mm. with skin, a God whose re character is like the character of like Jesus. And yet that character of Jesus is not not small, but large. It, mm. it encompasses things. That that doesn't, as I say in The uh, Elephant is Running, uh, exclude other insights. Mm. Uh, we can't deny the wisdom of other traditions, but we can say the wisdom that we have is enough to provide a pathway to wholeness for any and everyone who is called to it or who chooses. Yeah, that's so good. Each chapter or meditation in the book opens with uh, an excerpt from the Gospels, obviously not Mark, because we talked about Mark isn't really too interested in the in the birth story. But you have maybe a piece from John's Gospel about the Logos or the Word. You have a section, you know, maybe from Matthew's Gospel or Luke's Gospel, the Nativity story. Each chapter opens with with something. So one of the questions I had is like, what do these stories mean to you? So in particular, the Nativity story, the Virgin Birth, the Wise Men, the Star, the Shepherds. Herod, all the different things. Many of us were raised like myself to see these as historical events that you never question. It's just like a a yes. play by play of what happened to Jesus when he was yes. born. Matthew had his own little version, and Luke had his own little version. But we can mash them together and make one big story because that's that's what it is. So my question is, what what role do these stories play in the life and the heart of Bruce Epperly? Is there any historical merit to them? Does it even matter? 
Take us into that very sticky question. <laughs> well, I'm an old school theologian, and by that means that by that I mean that before the modern era, and I'm not I'm a, I'm a I'm a creation of the modern era. Mm -hmm. uh, there was no distinction between theology and spirituality. Uh, people's spiritual journeys were articulated in their theological journeys and, and uh, vice versa. Mm -hmm. uh, so I can't separate the heart and the mind. On the one hand, the stories are the stories of my childhood. They're the stories of the events of being a, a small boy who was surprised on Christmas, a small mm -hmm. boy who asked the Christmas, the year that we were driving down to Los Angeles rather than being at home on Christmas morning, would, would Santa come today? Mm -hmm. uh, where would Santa be? And discovered that my dad, who had been recording a radio show that evening, then was picking us up to take us to L.A., uh, dropped by the house it was lit and the presents were under the tree and that that wonderful thing that mm -hmm. that christmas could happen anywhere santa could come anywhere yeah and, and so there's that part of it that i try to cherish and try to hold on to that it's it's a hard holiday mm -hmm. uh, it's a hard holiday that that anyone who's held a child or been a parent or have had a gotten the news that they and their spouse their partner are pregnant that's their story. It's our story. Mm -hmm. uh, anyone who's been an outsider, it's it's our story. Uh, anyone who who struggles with the powers and principalities of the world, that's our story. It's the story of humankind. Now, the historicity of the story is a challenge. Mm -hmm. uh, I have to admit that that I take very seriously biblical scholarship. Uh, I am uh, definitely have been influenced by some of the great scholars in uh, in this area nt wright uh uh john dominic cross and marcus borg uh but yet i've also felt that when the heart informs those stories we can't out of hand deny them i think that it's leibniz or spinoza i think who says that philosophies err more in what they deny than in what they affirm it's a grand universe. Mm. It's a universe big enough for a virgin birth. It's not a big part of my faith, I must say. Uh, when I go to the the evening service with the the shepherds and the magi on Christmas Eve uh, at my home church in Bethesda, Maryland, I'm not going to worry about the history. Um, <laughs> what I'm going to be thinking about is how this is the human story of mm -hmm. about the divine being present in the lives of our that we have of of birth of trying to pay for your children's education of getting the kid off to school and in dealing with the political issues of our time i don't disbelieve in the virgin birth it's never been my job to be a a, a um, negative deconstructionist if anything i try to be a creative deconstructionist mm. and say <laughs> how could we understand this lord knows there are other stories of virgin births but in a universe like this in which the very fact that we exist is miraculous i mean anyone who uh, goes out at four in the morning as i did and took a long walk as i often do every sunrise and watched the eclipse a couple days ago you know that's beyond my imagination or even ponders that, mm. you know, 13.7 billion years, given it, give and take 100 million among friends, uh, even that, that this particular universe came into being. And of course, my 10 year old grandson, who's been raised on Marvel comic books <laughs> and Marvel movies, talks about the multiverse to me. And uh, uh, all this provokes radical amazement. When I'm a, I've studied the best scholarship and take it seriously, but I don't think even that should constrict our thinking. Uh, the scholarship is to keep us honest and to give us a playing field, but don't let the imagination be dimmed. So I think it's the story. I'm not worried about whether an angel showed up. I sure as heck don't know the mechanics of the virgin birth. Uh, <laughs> I, I I have great doubts about the stories of, of Mary's conception, about how her parents were thinking of God, and did somehow or other she was born without the taint of sin, you know. Uh, <laughs> that seems rather like nonsense to me. I think the virgin birth story itself says to us, this is a special child. Hmm. 
It's a little bit like baby Yoda, maybe. But this is a special <laughs> child that God has chosen. And, and I don't think God is a homogenous force, hmm. a force that's even across the universe. I think God's just like us in the sense that some moments of our lives more define us than others. Yeah. And some moments of God's relationship. So I believe in the sense that in this prophetic tradition, God could have reached out to, to people who would be the parents of this special child yeah. and be moving uniquely in their lives such that Jesus is one of us entirely. Mm. Who knows the mechanics of the divine humanity? But Jesus is one of us and yet called by God to do something unique just as in our own way, we're called by God to do something unique. Yeah, I think that's so beautiful. And this is a theme that's been coming up in a lot of conversations on the podcast. So I think it's interesting. It just kind of came up again. It's just that in order to be, there's just, there's just like, I guess this lie out there that in order to be like a serious deconstructionist or a serious progressive Christian, you need to abandon certain ideas and certain things. You need to yeah. toss them aside but just to hear you say that, like, you don't have to toss aside the virgin birth. You don't have to toss aside these stories that that have brought so much light and joy into our lives, especially when we were younger. Like, you don't have to throw all of that away. There, There is a way to deconstruct. There is a way to move into a more progressive Christian mindset and still hold on to those things. Just think about them very differently than we used to. Yeah, and I think certain types of progressivism and certain types of conservatism share a common mistake or fallacy of making our world and our imagination smaller. Yeah. The attempt to be literalistic and cr criticizing the te text is almost as unimaginative in, in being literalistic and saying this is the only thing the text is saying. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that there's a, a sense that we we're dealing with the imagination here. We're dealing with fantastic things. Yeah. Um, I think it's that you can you can call out the world of myth, but but those who've studied Jung and Campbell and others know that myths are never false. They're yeah. oftentimes truer than daily experience. The myth is is what allows you when you look across the room and and fall in love to say that's the one. That's right. The myth is the one that gets you to make a decision to transform your life and transform the world, because even though you don't know the mechanics of what you're going to do, you've been called to save this little part of the world. And because God has called you, yeah. even though you don't know God's name, God has called you. That's right. Yeah, I was talking to somebody the other day. We were talking about like the the big events in the Bible, the virgin birth, the resurrection. And, and they said to me, like, do you believe that these things happen? And I said, I said, honestly, like, I don't know. And like, I used to look at them and say, yes, these are historical events. And then I tried to say, no, they weren't historical events. They didn't really happen. And now I'm in this place where I'm just like, I don't really know if they're historical or not, but I know that they're true because I see virgin birth and resurrection every day. Like I've seen I've seen goodness birthed out of darkness. I've seen yes. things come about that have no possible meaning for how they came about. I've seen dead things come back to life in terms of dreams and things like that. Like I think that those things are wired into our very being and that's what yes. makes them true. But when we get lost in the, you know, the mechanics of did this happen? How could this possibly happen? I think we lose that wonder and we lose that piece of ourselves in that conversation. Well, yes. I mean, anyone who has, uh, been to the hospital with a serious illness knows that the illness is more than the chart right even though when you're being treated with for cancer you look at the chart and look at the numbers to see if you're going in the right direction yeah but the chart is also a flesh and blood person who is worried about whether they're going to make it it's a mother or father in my case who's looking at whether a child's going to survive right. it's it's somebody it's the deeper meaning of events we can never fully fathom. I think that Augustine is correct when he says that if you think you know it fully, it isn't God. That's right. And that applies equally to the fundamentalist who thinks they know the text yep. and the deconstructionist who thinks they know the text. Right. <laughs> it's always more. That doesn't mean we don't 
keep wrestling with the text, the word mystery is not intended for us to abandon our thinking. Right. The word mystery says we've got a long journey ahead of us and let's keep going. And even though as uh, Tolkien says, not all who wander are lost, mm -hmm. we have to wander, yeah. W-A-N-D-R, <laughs> and wonder with these stories and, mm. and, and keep trying to fathom what part a human can fathom of a cosmic and divine mystery. That's right. That's so good. So one of the things I love about the book is that there's a lot of uh, one-liners that are very quotable and a lot of sections yeah. that gave me pause, which is probably why it's a book of meditations because the meditations are very, are very short, but I found that I had to really create a lot of space in my time before reading yeah. the next one, because I had to let it kind of sit and linger for a little bit. Yeah. And there's just one section where you say, and I have a quote here on my screen. Uh, you say, in Jesus, God became human so that humankind might become divine. And I actually wrote that in my journal the morning that I read it, because that's a that's a huge statement. And I read it like two weeks ago, yeah. but I don't think I've even begun to scratch the surface <laughs> of what it means. So I was wondering yeah. if you could kind of help us unpack that a little sure. bit and see where it might lead us. And again, for our listeners, it's uh, in Jesus, God became human so that humankind might become divine. What does that mean? Yeah, yes. And I am uh, leaning on an ancient tradition, theosis or divinization, that before worrying about sin, <laughs> the incarnation didn't come because of sin. The incarnation was there long before Adam and Eve showed up. Mm -hmm. uh, the The word of John's gospel didn't didn't emerge before human sin because how could it? Yeah. In the beginning was the word. We weren't even a, a gleam in God's eye at that point. Uh, and that we were created, and however we understand this mysterious language, in the image of God. There's a yeah. Godwardness in everyone. Uh, there's a Christwardness in everyone. Luther mm -hmm. calls us little Christs. Uh, you know, that, that there's a little Christ in us and that we are called to be holy in our setting. Yeah. Now, that obviously doesn't mean that the church lady, lady of Saturday Night Live from ancient era of that series, it doesn't mean necessarily <laughs> being prim and proper and, and, and just dotting every I and being scrunched up in your life. It, yeah. I think it means being fully human, which is something we barely scratch the surface of. Yeah. Uh, we sleepwalk through the day uh, and, and are convicted when Mary Oliver asks us, uh, you know, what do you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? Mm. Uh, and we've realized that we just went through 72 hours where we just kind of went from one thing to another and didn't have a sense of the 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 joy and, and of that uh again every morning uh again i tie a lot of my writing to my spiritual practices and i i get up uh very early for somewhere in time between four and five mm. and after morning prayer and a little study or writing i go take a walk and i be begin the day with just the this is the day god has made let us rejoice and be glad in it and i I start numerating the things that are marvelous in the world mm -hmm. and my and in my life, and and the it, it's you never run out of things to say, and it reminds you you're part of the wonder. I thank God for myself, mm -hmm. uh, not because I'm unique, but this morning I woke up, mm -hmm. and I was thinking, and I was creating something, and I was bringing something new to the planet, and I think divinization means being fully alive. And with all the impediments in life of being fully alive, yeah, and and yeah. and one of Christ's jobs, I the the atonement again is not necessarily about appeasing the wrath of God. To me, that's a morally suspect notion, but the atonement is about a unity with God that comes through God's presence, even and in including the cross, mm. to wake us up to who we are as God's beloved mm. in a world that's God's beloved. Yeah. That's so good. I've been thinking of I've been thinking a lot about like what's what's the purpose of of Jesus and what was the purpose of the incarnation? Why what what is all this about? And what I've come to think about in my own life and the way that's it's come to make sense to me is that it's almost like like Jesus is like God's mirror that he's holding yes. up to the world. And we look at Jesus and we see our reflection. And the hope is that we will sooner than later, wake up to that and remember 
who we are because like you said we we yes. sleepwalk through life and we do we go about our day and we live in this world and we pick up baggage it just sticks to us as we as we walk through life and i think it's so easy to forget who we are like you said it you know in genesis it says the very first thing is we're made in the image of the divine and it's so easy to forget that the breath of god is has brought us to life it's so easy to forget that the breath of god is 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 our very makeup it's it's easy to forget these things and forget who we are when we look at jesus and we see his love and his grace and his forgiveness and the things that he stood for and he fought for like it's you're supposed to say ah yes this is what it's all about and so that's the way i've been seeing Jesus. And I've been trying to explain it to my daughter. She's five. So we talk about yes. the story of Jesus every night before we go to bed. And I try to emphasize that this is because she's going to pick up all that sin talk eventually. But yep. I want her to have like a solid foundation of this is who you are. You are good. You are made in the image of God. We forget it all the time. Daddy forgets it. Mommy forgets it. You're yep. going to forget it. But Jesus, we can look to Jesus and we can remember, yes, that's who I am. And that's really what these stories are about when we yeah. get, we need the cosmos, but the cradle is the very simple story of a father and mother could be two fathers today. It could be two <laughs> mothers. We won't worry about that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, uh, parents loving their child, trying to do what's best for their child, trying to protect their child. And off they run to Egypt, trying to, to avoid as asylum seekers, uh, the wrath of the government. This is the story of humans. Mary and Joseph are, are fallible people, but in that shining moment, uh, they said yes to impossible possibilities, just as sometimes couples who become pregnant, uh, you know, are, am I up to this? Yeah. Uh, you know, there's there's a, a story circulated in, in early centuries about Mary in which uh, God had visited a number of other houses and she was the first one to say yes. Mm. And, and she wasn't uh, uh, preparing in any intentional way to be the parent of Jesus of Nazareth, nor was Joseph. But when the push came to shove, they said yes to something that was impossible until they said yes to it. And yeah. and that may be the story for us. We we live in a world of impossibilities till we say yes to the impossible. That's right. And then things unfold, and they yeah. they parent the child of God. Yeah, and that's so. I mean, that's that's the thing. Like when when we what I was saying before is like when we when we when we try to analyze the story and figure out the the science behind the virgin birth and how in the world this could possibly happen, we lose things like that. We lose the idea that a yes to the impossible could birth something in your life that you have absolutely never imagined in your wildest dreams. And I think that at yes. the heart of it. That's the story because these people who are reading these stories, they needed to hear that with the trials and the tribulations that they were going through in their time to read and to see the story of somebody who said yes to the impossible and birthed something new. Imagine what yes. that would have done for them in their time. Yes. Yeah. So good. All right. So Mary, let's talk about Mary for a second. Um, one of the the I don't know, cornerstone pieces, I guess, of Christmas time in the church and the Christmas play and all that kind of stuff is Mary's uh, Magnificat and this this great yeah. song uh, that she supposedly sang when she went to visit um, Elizabeth. Elizabeth, and uh, one of the things that you yeah. say in in the book is that her words kind of challenge this idea that there is no connection between spirituality and politics. Yeah. And you say that not only did Mary not see her words come to fruition, but all these years later. Uh, the day after election day, we are still we are still waiting uh, for these words to come to fruition. So this is kind of a loaded question, but you can kind of unpack it as much as you'd like. Sure. Can you talk to us a little bit about about that song that Mary sang and, and what that was about? And then maybe yeah. share, paint a picture for us. What would it look like for this song to come to fruition? Yes. And then yes. how can you and I and everyday people working a nine to five job, trying to pay the mortgage, all those things, how can we help make that happen well and, and it's a it's a a magnificent song i mean that's a, the magnificent <laughs> it's got a great title God. <laughs> and, and and here you have again who knows whose words these were but they were certainly the these the wondrous uh, may very well have been the wondrous uh 
expression of somebody to whom something has happened they can't fully fathom, but they know it changes everything. Yeah. And they know that people like them who are marginalized, who are working folks or people trying to get by, have a different destiny than other people say about them. Mm. Uh, this Even this morning at the um, uh, grocery store, I quite often shop early in the day if I need a gallon of milk or the something best time like to go. that. <laughs> yeah, it is. So the, my checker, who is who I've known for 30 years, mm. uh, I moved away from D.C., moved back, and there she is still waiting for me. And she, she's there, and we began to talk about whether a parent thinking their child was failing because they decided did they didn't want to go to college but learn a trade. Mm. And and how learning a trade seems inferior. Mm -hmm. And here you have Mary, the daughter of a tradesperson, most likely, yep. not one of the great ones, a for, forgotten girl, girls that are pregnant are a dime a dozen then and now. There's nothing special in quotes, nothing <laughs> special in quotes. It's everything special in reality. Mm -hmm. And she imagines a world in which the, the wealthy somehow rather divest themselves of the gap between wealth and poverty, that the, the wealthy see themselves in solidarity with the poor. And she's even stronger than that, that God's going to force them to do it, mm. that God's going to change the world so that uh, Elon Musk is living living in a shotgun three you know, back and forth house with living room, kitchen, <laughs> bedroom, and you know, and, and somebody who's been in a, a hovel will have a, have a nice home. That that God's going to change things. Well, that again is an impossible possibility. Uh, we haven't seen it yet on this planet, but we need to hear Mary, just like we need to hear Amos, just like we need to hear Micah and Hosea and Jesus repeating uh, uh, Isaiah and Luke four that this world could come to pass. Mm. If we give up on the impossible, the things that haven't happened, uh, we'll be content with the real, and the real will all of a sudden, what do they say, is, is will be the mediocrity that will succumb to less than. Mm. Uh, the the uh, Magnificat calls us to be partners in a world that we can't imagine, a world that will change us, a world in which we may have to give something up. I mean, I, I'm speaking as a privileged uh, white male, uh, knowing that the equalization of life and as American uh, will require sacrifice. Uh, and I'm never quite sure what that means exactly. But but I have to let go of the the stranglehold that whiteness has on many people. I have to let go of the stranglehold of, of patriarchy. And, uh, you know, now as, a, as an older scholar and as an older pastor, I have to still do the best work I can and get my ego out of the way and step outside so other people can get in there. Yeah. So so that first gay person can be a governor in Massachusetts like Maura Healy. So that first transgendered person can have a responsible position and maybe even get one that I might be interested in mm. uh, and not not fall into the world of complaints mm. and, and being a, what do they call it? A snowflake about uh, somebody <laughs> else. Yes. Uh I mean, you hurt it, hurt if you don't get the job, but if you realize that sometimes you have to step over hmm. and the wealthy have to be uh, become, Mary says, compassionate to the point of sacrifice. Yeah. The wealthy have to become compassionate to the point of getting out of the way. The powerful have to be hmm. compassionate to the point of stepping aside and letting others have power. Uh, and and that's the ideal world that seems so far from ours right now, but both, both in the international and the domestic fear, and even in the church. Mm. What yeah. if we let go, and as the old saying goes, let God lead the way? That's what she's telling us to do, with no clear sense of where it's going to go. Mm. Yeah, and that's what people we often want the we want the map laid out. We want to know, yeah, if we do this, where is this going to take us? And we, we don't we don't get that. But if I'm hearing you correctly, and I, I just wrote this down, what you said before, is that if we give up on the impossible, we become comfortable with the real. And this idea, I guess this idea, and correct me if I'm if I'm going the wrong way with this, but Mary's song contains a lot of things that seem to be impossibilities on the yes. surface. Just just yes. like we're talking about the virgin birth, the resurrection, all these different things. It seems 
impossible. How could this possibly be? But if we give up on that, if we say, well, that's impossible, then we become yeah. comfortable with the way that things are with the rich living their richest extravagant lifestyles yes. while everybody else is trying to make ends meet. And then you have people who have absolutely nothing at all. And so yes. we, we become comfortable with that because, well, the impossible is impossible. So the question then, if I could dig a little bit deeper is what, how, how do we, how do we, how do we let ourselves live into that impossible? Like think about the person, like I said before, who's working a nine to five job, they're yes. trying to make ends meet. Uh, they're, they're trying to raise their kids, pay the mortgage, pay the bills. And they read Mary's song during Advent. They come across yes. this. What, what can they do to live into the impossible so they don't become comfortable with the way things are? Yes. And, and, and far be it for me to prescribe what another should be doing. <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, I want the I blueprint, Bruce. No, I'm yeah. I live with this every day in, in the sense of saying, Speaking to myself, yeah. uh, with all my egocentricity and self-interest uh, that's built into being a, a human to some mm -hmm. extent, survival needs, is how can I have a bigger imagination, a more open heart, a more sacrificial spirit, yeah. uh, a more willingness to let go of my agenda for a larger one? Now, this for me uh, and for people like me and for people who have power uh, means helping facilitate the ability of people who are uh, just barely getting by in terms of time and energy and income to have leisure and largesse to think bigger. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the, I think Howard Thurman makes the comment that one of the greatest tragedies of poverty is the stifling of the imagination. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and we need to, uh, every, you're, you know, thinking of about a, a child going to kindergarten, for example, um, he, she, they need to have a big imagination. They need to imagine things that couldn't possibly happen. Uh, they need to want right to run down the, the hallway of their their parents of their home shouting Luke Skywalker with their with their <laughs> lightsaber. They they need to. Imagine hitting the home run on the uh, to win the World Series. Yeah. They need to imagine being the first woman president. They need to imagine that or it isn't going to happen. Yeah. And, and, and we have to make sure that the imagination is big enough. And for those of us who we need to work toward a society where people in those nine to five or some days now nine to eight jobs mm -hmm. have enough leisure to dream. Yeah. Have enough leisure to to say that that there's more to life. I have nothing against uh, Miller time, but there's more to your calling on this planet than than knocking down a few beers after work. That's right. Uh, and it's in our hearts to do so, and it almost has to be a social calling. That's why I think Mary's call is is initially for the wealthy to imagine themselves different. The people of privilege to imagine themselves in our society different and the, the, the marginalized to imagine it could happen and try to ask themselves, in what small way can I make this happen this day? Uh, I think it's in the Jewish tradition of a Kabbalistic tradition uh, that they say that when a soul is saved, it's as if the world is saved. When a world soul is destroyed, it's as if the world destroyed. I think a little bit like the one day at a time from the 12 step movement, that's too generous. Yeah. Uh, I think that you have to ask each other and ask ourselves, how are we going moment by moment to save the particular situation I am in right now? I mean, my I hold on to God's way in a very precarious fashion. Uh, somebody pulls in front of me while I'm driving, and I no longer think of of, of how, what I'm called to be, uh, and I'm no longer thinking of saving that encounter as I I yell at somebody who does that. I mean, I I and I I think the moment by moment by moment by moment, living with the sense of God's presence and purpose that this is the moment I'm called to be in. And, and that really takes a type of intentionality. And I think one of the things we can do in the life of the church 
of religious communities is to invite people to be intentional, but intentional about how they li live their life, how they live the day, this particular day that we're in, uh, this particular moment they're in, which kind of combines again the infinite and the intimate, mm. the infinite, the the wide horizon. I'm I'm what does Paul say? I'm pushing toward the goal. I've got my eye on the prize, yeah. but the prize is in this very moment. Yeah. That's so good. We often, it's funny, we often want, we think of questions like this and we want to, we want to change the, we want to attack the big issues. We want to see global change come. We want to be able to, you know, make a huge impact on some big issue that's going on. But like you said, we can focus on those things so much and become so overwhelmed with the impossibility of it that we forget about the moment to moment things that we can do every single day that can cause a ripple effect. You never know what your act of kindness or like your act of pausing for a moment before you lose your cool and the way that you respond to somebody that that could change their approach to how they're going to approach yes. the next person and the person after that you just, you just have no idea but if we're if we're if we focus on those moment to moment things i think that's where the real change can happen I, th I think so. For most yeah. of us, we have to hold the two in creative tension to have the, the long sense of what we can become yeah. and the short step sense of one step at a time. That's right. That's right. All right. Last question for you um, from Pastor Bruce's heart. Uh, the people who are listening are your, are your congregation right now. And uh, they've come for a, a word, I guess you could say, for, for Christmas. Uh, if you were to, if you had everybody here on the mic with you and everybody was listening live with me, uh, what would you say to them as they go their way? Because Christmas, again, Christmas is a time, holidays are a time where people, some people love it, some people dread it because you got family things, you've got past yes. events and baggage, and you've got people maybe who passed away during holiday time. So it brings up a lot of different stuff. But if you had to leave us all with a message, uh, what would that yes. be? Yeah, and, and that's a wonderful question that's very current because this year, the Christmas Day falls on Monday, falls on Sunday, just as New Year's Day call, falls on Sunday. Mm -hmm. And and I've been noticing a number of churches are, are, are going to move away from uh, in-person worship on Christmas Day. Mm -hmm. And our denomination, the United Church of Christ, the conference has offered to have a uh, a, a Zoom service that you can download for your church, mm. and, and and that's bothers me. That bothers me. I I I, I know the intention. I, so yeah. I've let my name be known that I'd be willing to show up <laughs> in a local church on Christmas morning and, and New Year's morning because I know the low Sunday can be a high Sunday. Yeah. I think that Christmas Eve, Christmas morning, the whole season of twelve days. The whole season of 12 days, it should be one of my friends says that there should be two weeks of Advent and four weeks of Christmas. And mm. she may be right <laughs> on that point is to basically say there's a light here and there's a light within you. There's a light in the world that that can guide our path if we open our eyes to it. Uh, I think it's Amanda Gorman who said in an inauguration poem for President Biden to, to see the light and to be the light. Uh, to know that in this little world in which we find ourselves with all its struggles, something marvelous is happening. The mere fact of being alive today is a wonder. The mere fact of waking up to this day is a wonder. The mere fact that God is with you in, in working wherever you are, whether it's as a cashier at at Walmart or as a pastor struggling with the extra services during Advent and Christmas, whether it's been a person trying to combine um, working, going to soccer games, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera, taking the kids to school, that these are the places, oh, little town of Bethlehem, descend upon us this day, cast mm -hmm. out our sins and enter in, be born in us today that Christ can be born in these situations that we find ourselves and that this is really an evangelical message. This is this is more than the four spiritual laws. This is the four spiritual laws are kind of kid stuff uh, mm. compared to this. You know, this is the right here. Christ, you've got a calling from Jesus right here. Jesus is being born and uh, get, get on with it, you know, and and and, and wake up from your slumber as, as again, I think of uh, uh 
Oh, uh, William Blake, if the doors of perception were open, we'd see everything as it is, as infinite. Mm. It's already here. Christ yeah. is born. Hallelujah. That's right. Amen to that. Well, Bruce, we are just about out of time again. Our time together goes so fast. But uh, thank you so much for taking the time to join me. And uh, thank you for giving us this this perspective on a, on my favorite holiday, my favorite time of the year. But uh, thank you so much. It was a joy to be with you. We'll do it again. You got to put all your links in the show notes and I'll be in touch because there's more books. Wish I had a mansion. Wish I was dressed something fancy. Uh, wish I on a pot and so go with the rainbow by the time Clancy. Uh, wish I not had no debt. Maybe then I can't flex. Go ahead and run, I'm a check. Wish I had no other sand, I was beating on my chest. Wishing for my people. Uh, wish I had more better leaders. Have enough to make our own land. Name our own beach and we bring our own sand. Where we live is so bland. So much we're high on demand. Tiptoe around through and high lows. Feel like James Brown, love we go ahead and dance. Let me talk. At the end of the day, we know who's at a fault. We got our hands up, ready for a box. Undisputed, got the own lock. Champion. Go ahead, call the ambulance. So we said our own ambience. Dub TTG, train to go. Let's talk, no rambling. Wishing I had something foreign, wishing I had something foreign. Knowing that I can afford it, knowing that I can afford it. It's real love, it's real love, but I just ignore it. It's all love, it's all love, but I just ignore it. Wishing I had something foreign, wishing I had something foreign. Knowing that I can afford it, knowing that I can afford it. It's real love, it's real love, but I just ignore it. It's all love, it's all love. Yeah. Wish I had red bottles on my feet. Everything falls on me. Then I start clicking my heels to the ride. Did this beat neat? Everyone to follow my speed. Let's close those more keys. Carolina Rose on freeze. Wishing I could fly to the keys. That will be more free. Something hit my mind, hit the dough. Put on my fresh fit. Toast Sir Charles, let's go. We about to go and get it. Uh. Let me talk. At the end of the day, we know who's at the fall. We got our hands up, ready for a box. Undisputed, got the own lot. Champions. Wishing I had something foreign. Wishing I had something foreign. Knowing that I can afford it. Knowing that I can afford it. It's real love. It's real love. But I just ignore it. It's all love. It's all love. But I just ignore it. Wishing I had something foreign. Wishing I had something foreign. Knowing that I can afford it. Knowing that I can afford it. It's real love. It's real love. But I just ignore it. It's all love, it's all love.